Welcome to another episode of Infinity X, where we give a stage and microphone to human excellence in the pursuit of never-ending opportunities and merging ecosystems with world-renowned entrepreneurs and influencers. Now, here's your host, David Harder. <laughs> from the from the hallowed halls of Epic Podcast Studios here in Red Bank, New Jersey, this is We Are Infinity X, where we give a stage and microphone to human excellence. And tonight is absolutely no different. We have the indomitable Chester Elton, author, professional speaker, best dressed brother on the street, by the way. Um, Chester, it's so wonderful to have you here this evening. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. You know, I'm just north of you in some of New Jersey. I didn't know you were down in Red Bank. This is great. That's awesome. Next time we should have, that would have been great to be in studio. That's awesome. That's good to know for the future, Chester. Absolutely. And by the way, one of my dearest friends is president of the New Jersey Devils. You need tickets, you call me. Oh, wow. Who's that, by the way? <laughs> Jake Reynolds, good friend of mine. So are you a Devils fan or is it just happened to be a coincidence that he's president of the Devils? Uh, die hard, Marty Brodeur, uh, way back. And I've seen all three Stanley Cups, five Stanley Cup appearances. I was born in Canada, so hockey is not really like life and death or like a religion. <laughs> it's like way more important than that. You know what I'm saying? I do. I do. <laughs> although, although what I will say is um, I am not from Canada. I'm from New Jersey, and I come from a very regal basketball background. With that being said, one of my former business partners was such an unbelievable devil fan that I had the good fortune of the last cup to be at game seven. Oh, oh, a dream come true. Are you kidding me? Yes, it was awesome. Let's was see, awesome. I've got my uh, commemorative Stanley Cup ring from 2000. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So let me tell you how rare this is. Only the first 6,000 people that came to the stadium got one of these. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. Wow. It's tremendous. So kind of fun. Yes. Yes, that was a great team. They had a great dynasty. They had a great run, I remember. And even, okay. even when they lost the cup, they lost in seven games too, right? So it wasn't even like – and they should have won that because they lost game six at home from what I remember. That's I right. I thought it was in the bag. Yeah, yeah. the Colorado series. You know, it's so funny. I lived in Detroit for a while, and you might remember that first Stanley Cup. We, everybody predicted that the Devils were going to get swept, and what happened? The well, Devils swept the yeah. mighty Detroit Red Wings. I got a lot of play in that for my friends in Detroit. You know what I remember, too, um, is the second, on their way to the second Cup, I think that they beat Philly in Game 7 at Philly, if I'm wrong. Now that's it. Yeah. yeah you know, my, my, my favorite moment in Stanley Cup history is – that first game in Detroit, they had all those really fast Russians. And Scott <laughs> Stevens, about 30 seconds into the game, almost killed one of the <laughs> – and you know what? And it was over. Nobody was coming across the middle. You know, this is way too much fun. So is this a sports talk show? Is that what we're doing here? Is that <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, we, we, we are entrepreneurs. We seek um, human excellence. Um, you know, we want to be able to kind of really uh, find out who you are and uh, the road that you travel. But I, whenever conversations lead to sports, it naturally gets me very excited. Um, so I just wanted to, to share that experience with you, and thank you so much. Yeah. Um, let me turn it back over to David, and David will begin the process of discovery. Thank you. I appreciate that. And Chester, so you're originally from Canada. What part of Canada are you from? So I was born in Edmonton, Alberta. You might remember that as the um, 
home of Wayne Gretzky for many years. Uh, we used to say in Edmonton, you had nine months of winter and three months of poor sledding. So <laughs> it was cold up there. And then when I was in grade four, about 10 years old, we moved to Vancouver, British Columbia, and actually grew up uh, a Canucks fan. But as you know, those games start at 1030 at night, and, and no one can stay up and watch those. So yeah, Edmonton to Vancouver, and then I went to school down at Brigham Young University in the States, met my lovely wife, and wow. the so, rest is history. So can I just, Chester, slow it down for a second? What I find interesting is, um, you know, you grew up in Canada. You've had the good fortune of um, being in both cities. What was it about your early, you know, let's call it high school years that led you to BYU? What was going on in your world at that point? Yeah, well, we're, we're a devout Mormon family. I grew up LDS. Yep. And, um, you know, I went for my first year of university, the University of British Columbia, which I loved it, a fabulous campus. And then I served a mission for my church for two years in southern Italy. Wow. And that was a, a really life changing event for me. You know, when you're a 19 year old kid in the church, they send you a letter and you open the letter and that's where you're going to spend the next two years of your life. Yeah. And I always uh, joke with my friends that when you open the letter and it says you're going to spend the next two years of your life in southern Italy. That's when you know Jesus loves you because it was unbelievable. I learned another language, another culture, learned to appreciate great food, and really learned that life is about service. Yeah. Because the only thing you do as a missionary, whether people you know join your faith or not, your job every morning is to wake up and make somebody else's day just a little better. Yeah, you know, um, what I love about what you're sharing, my dad uh, was a Bayonne. I grew up in Bayonne, New Jersey. Uh, Bayonne police officer for 27 years. And right as I started my career on Wall Street, um, 1995, 96, um, there was, you know, young kids that were doing their two-year tour in Bayonne, yep. which by the way, might as well have been in a third world country as well. <laughs> uh, and and every day my dad would invite these, these, you know, these, these um, spiritual warriors up to our house to eat dinner and and just go, you know, just have open conversations about, you know, God and religions and everything else. And I just remember thinking like, wow, how, how devoted those kids were, you know, and how powerful it was. And, and a little bit fast forwarding to us, Chester, we have uh, phenomenal ecosystem partners that a lot of them are centrally based in Utah. So we've developed some very good relationships with folks that are, that are, that are Mormons as well. Um, so, so that's always interesting. Whenever I come across a Mormon, I, I get excited because of our, our current relationship. So, so now you, you're in Italy. What is Italy like at the age of 19, 20, 2021? Italy is fabulous. You know, a wonderful, warm, and generous people. Thank you for feeding the missionaries. Uh, they're always hungry. And, uh, you know, and, and I, I just learned to appreciate a, an ancient culture. I, I, I am a student of history, loved, you know, studying the various empires and, for me, it was a thrill not only to get to learn the language and the people and the culture, to walk down the roads that Roman legions built mm. thousands of years before, to go into those cathedrals, you know, and be in areas of Italy where the ancient prophets, you know, um, walked and talked and preached. I mean, to me, it was it was a cultural, it was an emotional, and as you might guess, a very spiritual experience. I, I will tell you the thing that you learn as a missionary, not only to be independent, self, self-sufficient, is you really learn about service. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's about making the world a better place. And it's, and it's not about keeping score. You know, it's about doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. 
And, and that has been a foundation for me, really, for the rest of my life. I, I, you know, there are certain turning points in your life that you point to. And certainly, you know, your family is going to be a big part of that. For me, from the age of 19 to 21, uh, being a missionary in Italy, best training in sales, in self-sufficiency, in innovation, and, and just life. So, so let's play with that a little bit. When you, when you talk about, um, and, and not to minimize life, but let's zero in on sales and innovation, because you mentioned it. And uh, I, I do believe in transformational vocabulary. What specifically, when you think back to those times, have served you phenomenally in the space of sales and innovation that you learned during that two-year stretch? Well, you know, when you're in a country that's been Catholic for a couple of thousand years, <laughs> and, and, you're, and you're selling the religion that was started in upstate New York, trust me, you learn how to sell. <laughs> it is not an easy sell. Um, you know, you just learn to be creative and, and meet people where they are and, and relate to what it is, what their needs are, and how you can help. And again, regardless of whether they, they join your faith or not, it, it really is interesting to take a look at where people are, um, where they are with their families, where they are with their lives, and, and how can you bring a little light? How can you bring a little joy? And I think that translates into sales. You know, you, you, you have customers and you say, look, where, where are your issues? Where are your problems? How can I help? Is there, is there something I have that can make your life a little better, can serve your customers, can serve your people? You know, it's really interesting. I, I honestly believe and, and I went on to sell in a lot of different uh, places and a lot of different products. To me, the sales transaction has always been spiritual. And I know that sounds weird. Oh, it doesn't. No. Yeah. No, no. yeah. But I, that I, moment when you come to an agreement and people trust you enough with what you have showed them and what you've told them to give you their hard-earned cash. That that is a spiritual moment because that is trust, and there's a tremendous responsibility once they say, "Yeah, I want it," to make sure you deliver. In fact, to make sure you over deliver. Yeah, it's funny because one of the things that we practice on here is really how to create lasting change. And in, in from our perspective, I'm, I'm never here to tell anybody. I can only share with what's been successful for us. Um, but when we look at meeting people where they are first, right, and then being able to build high level rapport. Once that happens, and everything is based out of integrity, Chester, as you're very aware of, uh, we then could create leverage, and in the space of leverage, disrupt their disempowering pattern if, in fact, um, we have product strategies and services that can help them achieve the goals and outcomes they're looking to achieve. And then at that point, we want to be able to kind of define the problem or challenge in solvable terms, so not necessarily just point something out, but you know, David and I always go through an exercise where we point it out with a solution or a couple of different solutions that sits and fits with their core values. And then we want to be able to test it and, and um, you know, make sure that it that you, you want to test it to see if it kind of works in their space. And you just said it best when you said meet people where they are, because in sales training, it's been my personal experience that um, a lot of the sales training that goes on in different industries mm. does not really focus on training people on how to be people where they are. It's so canned and cookie cutter. And, um, you know, that's, that's the reason why sales is maybe challenging for some, but not for others, because they just didn't get that information that we're talking about tonight. Oh yeah. No, listen, uh, 
you know, my mission was great for sales training. I, I will tell you the other job that I got that I just adored, the hardest job I ever had. Uh, I got recruited out of Brigham Young University by the Southwestern Book Company out of Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, my. <laughs> and, and we sold books door to door. And we sold the Knaves Topical Bible, the Knaves Study Bible, the Wonder World Christian Values kids books. And for the atheists, the... Um, the, uh, what do we call it? The, the, the healthcare books. There were two books, two volumes of, uh, of health. So it was really interesting. And the sales training we got in Nashville, Tennessee was just phenomenal. Mm. You know, the discipline, the, the, the never give up, the just hit the next door. And, you know, I sold for three summers, paid my way through college and um, had a deposit on our condo in Detroit after my wife and I got married and moved up to the Motor City. So, you know, you have those opportunities that really test you. Yeah. And I, I think you surround yourself with, as you mentioned, high integrity people that will invest in you that you can trust. And boy, good things happen. And it's not easy. If it's worth it, I don't think it ever is. Yeah. And uh, that discipline. So between my mission and selling Bibles door to door, it was it was great. And talk about, you know, being innovative and uh, approaching doors and you never know who's behind the door. You know, one of the things that I did in Italy that really was so much fun, uh, as you know, the Italian language is beautiful. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those languages that if you're an English speaker, you actually can't make all the sounds. You know, if you're an English speaker and you learn French, the French can tell right away that you're not French. <laughs> right? You have to, you have to be, you have to grow up with that. Yep. We, we, could, we could tell that just in Bayonne. We could tell if you're not from Bayonne, just by the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> by the way, Bayonne High School, the only high school in New Jersey with its own hockey rink. Yes, mm. absolutely. A little yeah. bit of hockey trivia for you right there. Yeah. Yes. So, so anyway, so one of the things that, that I did is not only did I really study the language and, and, and try to speak it as well as I could, every little town in Italy has a dialect. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things and you know, you, and you look back and I say, well, that was kind of innovative, is I always made sure that I learned just enough dialect because you'd walk in and they are, they, they could tell just from your look that you weren't born Italian. Then you'd start to speak and they go, oh, he speaks pretty well. Then you throw in a little dialect that would completely blow him away because there's no way that uh, looking like you look that you should, A, speak Italian and certainly not dialect. So uh, I'll teach you a little uh, Sicilian because, you know, we live in New Jersey and you're going to bump into guys that are mafioso and you're going to want to be able to speak a little Sicilian. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so it was really funny. So, you know, in, in Italian, you'd say, andiamo, right? Let's go. Andiamo. Andiamo mangiare. Andiamo a mangiare. Well, in Sicily, it's Ammonini. Ammonini a da pana mangiare. Ammonini da pana mangiare. Yeah, it's close enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you throw that in and they would laugh. And they'd say, come on in, let's eat. You know, which is always great because the food is always great. <laughs> so, then, so then I'm up in Taranto. Taranto is the, the instep of the boot. You know, it's a little uh, naval base there. So in Taranto, it's not Andiamo, and it's not Amonini, it's Shamanin. Like, it's not an accent, it's a different language. And you learn a couple of words in dialect. And, and to, to, to our point, bring this back, is if, if you can just relate to people just a little bit, we do a lot of international business. Mm. If you learn how to say hello, goodbye, please and thank you in mm. Arabic, in Portuguese, in French, in German, I mean, it just goes such a long way 
to, to show people that you care. You, you took enough time to at least learn that. Yeah, manage. And uh, as you know, in sales, hey, every little bit helps when you can relate to people, as you say, where they are. I, I agree. And David, you know, back to you. Um, Were there times, Chester, because you're, when you're doing that at 19, listen, when you're taught good sales training, especially at a young age, you don't know any better, right? You know, you, can, you don't really have anything that you can compare it against. But I have to imagine that there were times between your mission and between the door-to-door sales, which is just incredibly difficult, that it got frustrating, right? You know, yeah. because you don't understand why they're not feeding into your mission, right? Talk about times when you were facing those struggles, when you're facing that head junk and those challenges and how you planned to overcome that outcome as opposed to sit in the negativity. Yeah. You know, I'm a big believer in rituals mm. and how you start your day, how you maintain your day and how you end your day, oh, you know? So, you know, when you're a missionary, your rituals in the morning are as you might guess, very spiritual. You say your prayers, your meditation, you read your scriptures, you prepare for the day. And then during the day, you know, you, you continually go back to that. When we were selling Bibles, the rituals were just so great. And, uh, and it's so funny. This has been forever since I sold Bibles. Door to door. I, can, I, can, I can repeat those mantras. I can do that stuff. One of my favorites, and David, you'll get such a kick out of this. When you're on a mission, you always have a companion. So there's always somebody with you, and it's a little easier. When you're selling books door to door, it's all you. I mean, you're all on your lonesome. So we'd have all these little mantras and sayings in the morning. One of my favorites, a couple of my favorites is you take a nice hot shower in the morning, and then you turn it ice cold at the end. I do that today. Yeah, just shock yourself. I still do it. You know, when, I'm, when I know I'm, I'm, I'm headed for a big day, I'll, I'll do it now. Yeah. One of my favorites was is you get in front of the mirror. You know, getting ready for the day. <laughs> and you'd look in the mirror and you'd say, Chester, you handsome devil. <laughs> Don't you ever die. <laughs> the world is meaningless without Chester. That's it. There you go. You handsome devil. Don't you ever die. And we had these little songs and stuff we'd sing. And it was it was just great. And then, you know, at the end of the day, you, you'd take stock and, and, and you'd go through it for... For me, my, my faith has always been a, a great bedrock for me because, you know, if you really do believe in a higher power, and by the way, you know, whether you're Christian or, or spiritual or whatever it is, I think when you believe that you are not alone, mm-hmm. it's, it's huge, mm-hmm. you know, that I'm never alone, that there's somebody out there that's looking over me, that loves me, that cares for me, that knows my name. And I, I, I always put this in the spirit of gratitude, you know, our, one of our latest books, Leading with Gratitudes that there's always somebody cheering for me. Yeah. And I always knew my, my mom and dad were cheering for me, that my brothers were cheering for me, you yeah. know, that my God was cheering for me. And when you get in those low points and you remember that and you've got that mantra, how can you not, you know, feel a little better about yourself, you know, regardless of where you are? Amazing. And, you know, you shared something before, which I found truly amazing. By the time you were done with college, um, you know, you moved to uh, Detroit and, uh, paid for your own college through sales and were able to buy your first condo at such a young age. To me, that's incredible. Um, and I guess that's where your career started in Detroit. Can you kind of give us a little bit of a, a journey along what that was like during that time and uh, part of your success process? Yeah, well, great fun. You know, the, the trivial pursuit question is, what country is south of Detroit? And of course, the answer is Canada. You know, <laughs> Windsor sneaks in uh, under there. 
my first boss at Teddy Pierce, just the best ever, you know, just really took me under his wing, uh, introduced me to the throwing, uh, you know, the squids on the ice at the, at the arena, Joe Lewis arena. And, you know, I just knew that Teddy always had my back. Hmm. And, and whenever I made a mistake, I, I didn't hesitate to go in and say, hey, boss, I think I screwed up. Hmm. And he wasn't the, a blame kind of guy. He was a let's fix it kind of guy. Hmm. And, you know, he, he always knew. He, he said, so what are your goals? He, he, where do you want to be? I said, you know, Teddy, I, my family's in media. My dad was in radio and my brothers were, you know, was always in sales and stuff, except for my one brother who was a lawyer who we don't talk about. And, <laughs> you know, um, I said, you know, the media capital of the world is New York. I, I've always wanted to work in New York. And he said, you know what? You work really hard here and I'll get you there. Wow. And, and, and just over a year later, you know, he said, hey, they've got an opening in New York. I've talked to them about you. They're going to fly you in. I always love the way Teddy called. He says, don't worry about expenses. They're going to pay your freight. <laughs> so, <laughs> what am I going in the cargo hold? You know, don't I get like a seat? Anyway, um, and it was great. And we went on and, and you know, they asked Teddy about me and highest recommendations. And, and, I, and I got my dream job in New York. And what, know, what was that? What was that, uh, Chester? The, the NBC blue team for Blair television. It was just, it was what I was doing in Detroit. It was just a bigger stage. It was like okay. going from AAA to the majors. Understood. Yeah. And, and, and we found a great place in Brooklyn and, and, you know, and from there we just really took off. It was just, we had our first children in New York. It was awesome. How many children do you have? We have four, four, four kids and three wonderful grandkids. Congratulations. That's hey. awesome. So you spent time in Brooklyn, your career blossomed, and you, you moved to Jersey during that time. Is that, is that what happened? Well, I took a job with a, a company, um, a recognition company, and it was really interesting. I, I loved selling media. I, I didn't, I didn't really feel like that was making the world a better place by getting the maximum uh, cost for a, um, a Super Bowl spot in Cincinnati. You know, while it was a lot of fun and I loved living in New York, the opportunity came to work with companies and, and, and employee recognition and, and give them like service awards and sales awards and innovation awards. And, and, and I love that. You know, I grew up in a sports family and that idea of achieving and being recognized for that achievement and then having a tangible uh, reward there, something that would continue to remind you of the excellent, like the Stanley Cup ring. And that's where I met my co-author, Adrian Gostick. Yes. Yeah, so, so Chester, hold on. So, cause a common theme and, and you know, this is a first yeah. on infinity X. So yeah. congratulations, Chester, you're, you're going to now step into the space of not only the book that you wrote, but what the book is about and how not only employers should be educated about their employees, but also how the employee uh, experience is changing because of current conditions. Mm. So what I'd love for you to do is kind of jump into that story, drive, you know, sure. once that happens, jump into that story and really kind of stay in that space because a lot of the folks that are around here are entrepreneurs. A lot of folks that work here at Epic are, are you know, we don't look at ourselves here at Epic as an employer-employee operation. Um, we do have a team, and, and today we just did a six-hour innovation with the team. Um, we don't have titles like sales manager and um, what are some of the other titles in our industry? Um, uh, uh, advisor. Advisors, yeah, yeah, we, we yeah. have like accountability drivers and you know visionaries and other titles that, that really create much higher energetic vibration. So with that, Chester, I'd love for you to um, tell your story here about this book because I know it's very powerful and it can add a lot of value to folks. Yeah, thanks. Well, 
you know, I, I had this idea with our CEO that if we were thought leaders in our industry, that my life as a salesperson would be easier. <laughs> and thought leaders write books. And uh, Kent Murdoch is his name. He said, hey, I love that idea. Write the book. And I went, no, you, you misheard me. I, I thought you should write the book. And then I would benefit from that book as a salesperson. You know, I wanted to be a gesture, right? And, and he said, you know what? You're a smart guy. Figure it out. Isn't that a great challenge? And so about a year later, as I'm, you know, after all my crushing quotas, you know, looking for ideas, he said, I I hired a writer. You've got the ideas. He's a writer. His name's Adrian Gostick. Write the book. And for 20 years now, Adrian and I have been studying workplace leadership, culture, and uh, our latest book, Anxiety at Work, is our 14th book together. Wow. Um, Yeah, we've we've had five New York Times bestsellers. We've had uh, seven Wall Street Journal bestsellers. We've sold 1.6 million copies. It's in 30 languages. And I say all that because my mother's not here to brag about me. Okay. So (laughs) she would have told you all of that. Um, Our favorite book, uh, and we've talked about this, is our 13th book, Leading with Gratitude. Mm. Because the red thread in everything we've done from culture to leadership to teams, really to successful individuals, there was always that red thread of gratitude. Mm. that they really did know that they didn't get there all by themselves and they were grateful for the people in and around them. Our most important book, I would say is our last book, which is Anxiety at Work. And and simply because of the pandemic, you know, the numbers and our work is all very research and case study based is pre-pandemic about one in five employees said they suffered from an anxiety disorder. In the middle of the pandemic, that jumped to 30%. Wow. For employees in their 20s, it's 42%. And when you look at why millennials and Gen Z are leaving their jobs, 50% of millennials and 75% of Gen Z said they have recently left a job for mental health issues. Justin, what do you think the catalysts are to that? Well, it's so glad I'm so glad you asked that question because as you delve deeper, why do they just leave? Why don't they talk about it? Why don't they find a solution? Because 90% of employees don't feel safe talking to their immediate supervisor about mental health. The stigma around, you know, look, you're out playing hockey with your buddies and you break your ankle and everybody says, take time off and get better. Nobody worries about it. You call your boss and say, look, I'm just emotionally overwhelmed. I need some time off. You know what they're afraid your boss is going to say? Oh, Chester can't hack it. I told you this was a high pressure job. Just let me know if you're not up to it. And so rather than have that conversation, they'll quit, take some time off, regroup, and go find another job. Does this, does this, uh, I apologize, um, but does this also find its way into high school kids right now? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Research on that. Is that part of some of your discovery? Was it more based on employer employees? Yeah. Our, our, our database is employed okay. adults. You know, I will tell you in the research we've been doing, though, never have we had a more anxious, you know, young, younger population. And, and the reason for that is very simple. I mean, you think about when you and I went to high school, uh, we never had active shooter drills. Mm-mm. You know, um, we came across a story the other day because people were saying, well, why is this generation coming into the workforce so anxious? I said, well, here's a story for you. Uh, kids are going back to school after COVID. So one of the teachers in in a middle school here in New Jersey said, well, look, can I at least keep the doors open to keep circulation? Mm. And the principal said, no, active shooters. 
keep your doors closed. You think about that. When was the last time you went to a movie theater and the first thing you thought about was how fast can I get out of here? I Never. actually, I no, actually, because my dad was, listen, when I was a little kid, I was worried about the Russians in fifth grade. <laughs> yeah. um, I was prepared for 9-11 because I worked in the city before that when they were going to blow up the tunnels. And yeah. every single time I go to a movie theater, I know exactly what the exit signs are. But I think I'm rare, but that's really because of my dad that created that in me. Not bragging about it, but it's definitely part of my DNA. Same thing when I get on a plane, I take a look around. Um, I do not like when the, um, I don't know what the right name for a stewardess is, if that's the name or not. Flight attendant. Flight attendant <laughs> puts the thing in front of the, so when the captain goes to the bathroom, oh, yeah. I'm on full scale watch in my immediate area for that three to five minutes to see if there's any activity. Yep. But to your point, I don't ever remember any kind of shooting drill in grammar school or, um, anything that it was our kids go online. through now yeah. yeah 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 see when i was a kid the only russians we were worried about were on the russian national <laughs> team but uh, <laughs> it was trechak <laughs> that was the guy we were most worried about um, <laughs> and we make light of it and we probably shouldn't this is a very anxious you know this is a generation they 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 have friends that have killed themselves yes <sighs> You know, they have friends that, that have, you know, severe addictions. They, yeah. they have friends, you know, and, and so it's understandable. Yeah. And put on top of that, you know, social media where everything you post is supposed to be spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. It's or, supposed to be perfect. Yeah. Well, it is spectacular, but it's not true. True. Right. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, yeah. you know, everybody just looks at your post and or you look at other posts. And you don't realize that behind that's a real human being. That actually has a lot of challenges in their life. Sure. Yep. Yeah, and then you and then you put on top of that the online bullying and and yeah. and on and on and on and on. And I'm not saying that our generation didn't have issues. We didn't have this many. Yeah. And it and it didn't go viral. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's it, right? It it goes viral, right? You know, it, it it's not in a confine of a community, a small community anymore. It goes across the country. Right. And it comes from it comes at you from all different directions as well, which growing up in that is, you know, it, that does put things into perspective. Jesse. Yeah. So one of the things we do, we talk about eight strategies. So how do you deal with that in the workplace, which, by the way, translates exactly to your family and personal life. Mm -hmm. And one of my one of my favorite strategies is be an ally. You mm -hmm. know, be that person at work that people trust. You know, um, Dory Clark, one of our favorite uh, leaders, she teaches at the School of Business down at Duke University. She says, you know, when you've got to pretend you're somebody else, it's like it's like you're back in in junior high, right? Where you're worried about what everybody's thinking about you. Well, and you start to hide. I mean, think about if you if you're the only woman on the team, or you're the only LGBTQ plus, or you're the only person on the team whose English is their second language, you're always on guard. Well, when you've got an ally, and this is such a powerful exercise, and I, I encourage everybody that's listening to do this with your team. When you know somebody's story, everything changes. Yep. Wow, yeah. you know, I, I love in your podcast, tell me your story. How did you get here? Yeah. You know, what do you want to do while you're here? And why? You know, what, are you, what are your dreams? What are your goals? We did this with a group down in, in, in Philly. And, and it was a leadership team that was not really functioning very well. And the leader said, can you come down and do some stuff with us? And I said, yeah, he explained it to me. He said, well, do you know each other's stories? He goes, yeah, I think we know each other pretty well. I said, no, I, I don't want to know, do you know each other pretty well? I want to know, do you know 
each other's stories. And so we had just story time. I know it sounds kind of silly, but four before lunch, four after lunch. And I said, look, I want to, I want you to talk about how'd you get here? So tell me about how you grew up in your professional career. Tell me two or three things that you want to do, but you know, and I want you to tell me why. Hmm. Well, it was really interesting because the first four, you know, and I kicked it off. And of course, I'm incredibly lucky. I grew up in a ridiculously happy household, you know, and Canada and hockey and married well and great kids. And, and I said, look, it's not that we didn't have trouble. We did. And we went through hard times. I just had a ridiculously happy foundation. Well, the next four, quite similar, happy households. Right after lunch, the one member of the team, and she was always kind of the difficult one. She sits down and says, not my story. My dad was mean. He was violent. My mother didn't care. I ran away from home when I was 17. Now, as she's telling her story, you can just tell in the room, people are like, oh. They had oh, no idea. Yeah. And yet you're here and mm -hmm. you're an executive with our company and you're doing well and, and brought the place to tears. And so at the end of the exercise, we do a really cool thing. I said, you know, what's one word you'd use to describe each one of your members? Do you know what the word they described, what, what, what her word was? What? Courageous. Wow. Yeah. You know what? After we talked to the leader, I said, did you know that? He goes, I kind of knew some of it. I said, everything will change from here. Yeah. Everything will change. Absolutely. You know her story. She knows you know her story. And she knows your story. So I checked in with him later and said, how are things going? I said, it's going great. <laughs> it's going great. great. So, you know, in this whole area of anxiety, know their story. You, you, you'll understand why people act the way they do. You'll understand how to better engage with them how to help them, how they can help you. And it reduces anxiety. The last strategy, and I know we're short on time. No, no rush. Uh, Chester, do your thing. Well, the, the last strategy is gratitude. You know, yeah. the human brain, it is not wired to keep you happy. It's wired to keep you safe. Yes. Fight or fight. That's why we look for danger. Well, you know what? When you rewire your brain and you say, hey, I'm going to focus on the things I'm grateful for, you can't be in a state of gratitude and a state of anxiety at the same time. Yeah. So, you know, your rituals, at the end of the day, my wife and I say, what are your three? What are three things you're grateful for? Mm, wow. You know, how you start your day, how you manage your day, how you end your day are so important and stick to it and stick to it. Thank you for sharing that. And, um, you know, Chester, uh, unbelievable. Um, this book, do you guys go into organizations and train? Yep. Like, what does that look like? If you want to share a little bit about that, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what that looks like. Yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah, we go in, we, we'll train the executive first, then we train the trainers so it can, you know, filter through the organization. Uh, we also have our, our, our podcast, Anxiety at Work. It was voted one of the top three uh, mental health podcasts uh, um, in that podcast world. And, uh, and we also have um, a, a company that we've partnered with called uh, the Culture Think Tank that can actually come in and measure anxiety in your workplace. Measure the year measurable. Find out where your anxiety hotspots are, what's causing it, and then here are the solutions. And it's mapped right back to the book. I had an innovative thought, um, and I, I'd like to ask ask you this, and maybe invite an open conversation to it. And if we pertain, if we just speak specifically to anxiety and sales, right? So non more anxiety in sales. And now we're still focusing on post-COVID or almost post-COVID. Um, is the anxiety different if these sales folks have more appointments than less? Mm. 
That's my question. You know, um, it really depends on the person. Everybody deals with anxiety a little differently. Okay. Um, one of the biggest causes of anxiety is overload. And we do tend to over-program ourselves. Okay. And high achievers in particular do that. Okay. Right. One of the things we talk about in the book and that we train leaders is how do you spot anxiety? And it's not easy because people that suffer from anxiety are really good about hiding it. You know, you're seeing all these movie stars and athletes coming out now and they're admitting anxiety. So yeah. wait a minute. You're, you're a world-class athlete. You're a world-famous movie star. Kevin Love, right? Kevin Love was one of the most recent ones, a basketball player. Mental That's health. right. Uh, Naomi Osaka at the French Open and the U.S. Open. Yeah. And, you know, um, uh, Bay um, the uh, gymnast, uh, Ballas, Bayless, yep. um, said, are you hurt? She said, no. No, physically, I'm fine. Yeah. There was no joy in what she was doing anymore. Yeah. She said to her coach, I'm fine. I just can't compete. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And shone the light on it again, younger generations and, and what's important and what really matters. And, you know, you, you're, you're, you're kidding me at a tennis tournament, right? We're going to kick you out of the tennis tournament. You're the number two ranked tennis player in the world. And we're going to kick you out of the tournament because, you know, press conferences make you anxious. Like I'm going to put the press core above the health of my athletes. Well, they pivoted pretty quickly on that. Yeah. Right. As yeah, soon, so, so soon as she left. Thank you for this. So let me ask you a question. So when we start to see these athletes, just they're normal in every other part of their life, except that they're great at that specific sport, is the lack of training when anxiety has hit them in different parts of the life become present in some of these higher moments? And you, you kind of bring to the table tools and technologies and strategies on how to be able to combat this. Is that is that exactly. what you're Got it. Okay. Exactly. Got and it. you know, anxiety has always been there. You know, my generation, you would never, you would never admit. Sure. Mm. Yep. You know, yep. It was suck it up, buttercup. I mean, <laughs> even when we played, when we played football as kids, right? If you got knocked out, everybody laughed. They'd give you smelling salts and send you back in. Um, How many fingers am I holding up? Five, close enough. You enough. Know? Yeah. 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 So the world has really changed. Absolutely. And, Generations have changed, and and we've got to be more more sensitive to that. Overload is 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 a huge issue. I'll tell you another one: perfectionism. Yeah, there's yes. no such thing, right? Um, and, and it's the enemy of getting things yeah. done, right? It's the enemy of getting things done. Yes. And this younger generation, because they don't get enough feedback, what they will do is they will keep doing it again and again and again until you tell them it's good enough. So really putting the parameters out there. This is what I need. I just need this. I don't need a 50 slide deck that's been manicured and, and, and you know, perfected. I just need the basic information. It's, it's a fascinating study. And I think the younger generation has a lot, a just, lot to teach us. Rob and I and our team, we do a, a ton of consulting to businesses, right? And, and uh, you know, employee, you know, working with employees. And one thing that we have found over the years is that when employees are going into work with anxiety, because really there's two different types of emotion, emotional relationships that you can have with money, right? It's either fear or, or it's scarcity or abundance, right? And when you're going into work with anxiety, financial anxieties, right? Um, you're less productive, right? We, we constantly find 
that employees um, uh, that do not have a scarcity mindset when it comes to their money, but more of an abundance mindset with their money um, uh, are more productive in the workplace because they're not thinking about financial matters in their household. When you're doing consulting, training, coaching with your ideal avatars, the businesses that you're working with, do you find financial matters, um, especially now in the pandemic, coming up as one of those anxiety triggers? Yeah, and it, and it manifests itself uh, this way, David, is that I'm, I'm unsure. Uncertainty is the number one cause of anxiety. And the number one thing that people are uncertain about is, do I have a job? So, so Chester, let me play for a second, because that's, that's, that's good access. So let me just share what, I, what, what we solve for here in our business, right? Because you just talked about uncertainty. And it's been our experience, the folks that know how to play at a high level in the acceptance of uncertainty are the ones that prevail mightily on the other side of that, right? So for us in the financial services industry, um, traditionally speaking, you know, they teach advisors or agents or fiduciaries to go to uh, BNI groups and, mm. and, and um, um, you know, meet and greets kind of thing and and typically, or, or a form of partnership with an accountant or an attorney. Um, but what that translates into is a 95% fail rate, yeah. right? Because once folks get past their natural market, they don't know how, and I'm speaking to my industry right now, not any other industry. They don't know how to create consistent new appointments or let's call it new reps, right? New, you, know, you know, being able to see someone fresh every day, two, three, four, or five, six times a day. The question that we asked, because I have a bunch of educated advisors. All What's that? Oh, sorry. Um, so I, I let, let, let me get my mic here right. So I, I just got a knock on the door. Oh, you got five minutes? All right. Yeah, so, so here's the thing. So Can we leave it open and see if anybody has a question for you? Because your message is so powerful. A a absolutely. Okay. Um, a couple of things. I said five more minutes because... Uh, my family's taking me out for my birthday dinner. Happy today. birthday. Happy <laughs> birthday. Jess. Oh, my God. All right. Let's go to some Q&A. Yeah. For yeah. yeah. Uh, as, as we're looking for the questions to come in, thanks, uh, Nikhil, is it's really interesting. We studied Navy SEALs and we said, you know, when the Navy SEALs come in, their, their sergeants can tell almost right away who's going to succeed and who's not going to. And they put people in two categories, taskers and optimists. Hmm. Which ones do you think survive? Optimists. Yeah. Oh, he's going to say Tasker. Well, no, no. I mean, I said Optimus. Okay. And you know what? We were both wrong. It's Tasker. Because Optimus, if they don't, if they don't hit their short-term goal, they lose faith. Exactly. That's and Tasker's just saying, and that's why that 95% fail rate, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to do the task and do the task and do the task. I sleep better. I don't worry about it. I do the task. Yep. So... Folks, if you have a, a question, you can either put it in the chat and or unmute yourself. I think we have time for one question for Chester. If you'd like to go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to cut you short. Before, yeah. before the question comes in, Chester, I want you to hear me out on something real fast. And I'm going to yep. give you an invite for Thursday night. Um, and if you want to talk about it privately off, off, off camera, great. Um, we are going to a gala Thursday night. It's the American Foundation for the Blind's 100-year anniversary. Wow. And um, some of the sports table captains that are going to be there are uh, Rex Ryan, Lawrence Taylor, Harry Carson, Bucky Dent, Goose Gossage, Eric Dickerson. Um, you know, there's going to be uh, Lee Steinberg, the number one sports agent in football. He's yeah, a yeah. player. 
And um, this interview was so great. I'd love to invite you if you want to come. Just let us know privately. Um, it is Thursday night. It's in Tribeca in Manhattan. Yeah, I, you know what? I'd love to do it. I'm actually going to be presenting in Detroit. Or, no, I'm sorry, Chicago. I got my big six mixed up. The Red Wings, Blackhawks, they're both in the same. <laughs> what, a question that came in is, how does your morning routine look? Like, when do you get up and what do those rituals look like? Yeah, I, I, it's, it's grown over COVID. I, I literally have um, like 15 things I do. And I know that sounds like a lot, but a lot of them are very simple. One is um, I, I say my prayers. I take my vitamins. I have my protein shake. I stretch. I go for a two-mile walk. I post a photo on LinkedIn, something I'm grateful for. I, I reach out to people that I love that I know are struggling a little bit. And I've got three people right now that I, I just send a little daily message. Wow. I make sure I do my meditation. I make sure I, I do my little check-in. How are you feeling right now? I read my scriptures, right? I've got a little spreadsheet that I do during the day. You know, does my wife know that I love her? Do my kids know that I, I love them? Did I do my best to be happy? Did I do my best to be engaged? You know, did I do my best to get in motion? And all of this really is in the first thing in the morning to get in motion. I take a look and I say, you know, every time I go for a walk, I never regret it. Mm. When I don't go for a walk. I always regret it. Wow. Have no regrets. Go for a walk. Interesting. Other questions? Now, the one, the one thing that I do love is my ma mantra in the morning is, be kind, be grateful, be of service. And that's the way I start my day. And that's the way I end my day. Awesome. Is anxiety at work written for employees or, uh, or staff or employers or both? Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, it really translates really well. We write it for leaders. It translates to coworkers and teammates. Absolutely. And uh, let's see here. If there are any more questions or is that... He's got to go. Okay. Yep. So happy birthday, Chester. <laughs> it's a Thank pleasure. You. I love happy the birthday. Jersey. Let's figure out a way to go to a game. Yes. Follow me on LinkedIn. I will tell you, we've got some great free stuff. We've got a gratitude journal on LinkedIn. We publish twice a month. We have 120,000 subscribers, just great information to, to lift you up. Um, uh, com is our website and listen into our podcast. You know, it's anxiety at work. We bring in experts from all over the world. And lastly, we've, we've formed online, uh, wethrivetogether.global. It's a free community, a safe place to talk about anxiety in the workplace. Hey, guys, I always appreciate it when I'm invited in and you can amplify the message. Let me return the favor. If I can do anything for you, please, you got my number. Let's go, Chester. Chester, happy Elton. birthday. Happy birthday. Good. We are Infinity X every Tuesday. Until next week, Chester the man. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Infinity X. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube by searching We Are Infinity X. Until next time.